Everybody doing good? Anyway, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Really, sincerely excited. Um, my name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, say what's up, PD. Um, I got so many things going through my head right now. You know, turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be really good. You better be paying attention. Okay. You might need to grab him by the shirt. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Every now and then, you know, if that happens, just grab him by the shirt, you know. One time I was disciplining my son when he was a young boy, and I grabbed him by the collar, you know, and I said, you better pay attention, or I'll do to you what I did to your brother. He's like, Dad, I don't have a brother. I go, exactly. <laughs> so I want to say hey to all our online viewers, and uh, we're on cable now. What up, what up with that? Uh, so I want to say hi to all the cable people out there. Welcome to Connect, and we hope you enjoy. We're in a series entitled Jesus Is. This is part six of Jesus Is. We've had an awesome, awesome series. Talked about Jesus is my sacrifice on Palm Sunday. Jesus is my champion on Easter Sunday. Had our biggest Easter ever. Tons of people. Lots of people saved, which was our focus. And uh, we talked about Jesus as our healer. Amen. If you're interested in that, just seeing what the Bible has to say about that. And we talked about Jesus, you know, is my Lord. Pastor Deej come brought a strong word just a little while ago. Did a great job. Then give it up for my better half. Mrs. Fry was here last week in the house. Yeah, she did a great job. So I always tell honey, you need to get in front of people more often. The church grows when I, when I let you go. <laughs> So if you're, she talked about Jesus is, is my provider, and if you're struggling sometimes in the area of provision and finances, I'm telling you that's just an just a ingenious, simple, uh, God-instructed word that's in there about the power of obedience. Amen? You don't want to miss that. Today we're going to talk about Jesus is my righteousness. So you can get your notes out, your worship guides out, you can follow along on version as well. Um, I'm going to be uh, kind of dealing with a unique topic, um, if I was to kind of a subtitle this, it would, be called a, it would be called Dealing with the Sin of Comparison. Dealing with the Sin of Comparison. In fact, I'm going to break this into two weeks. So this is a sub-series under a series, so next week we will finish this off because I couldn't fit it all into one, and I didn't want to overwhelm everyone. So the number one sin sometimes in our lives as Christians and as non-Christians, or pre-believers, as I like to say, they just don't know what they need, but God has exactly what they need, is the sin of comparison. Comparison. Comparison kills sometimes the dynamic and the relationship between you and God and you and others. And so here's your big idea. Fill this in. When we compare our sin to others, we fall into sin. When we compare our sin to God, we fall in love. And I'm going to unpack that as we go forward. But when we compare our, ourselves to others, we can fall into sin. When we compare ourselves or our sin to God, we fall in love. In this series, Jesus is, Jesus is in all these different personal encounters and um, face-to-face encounters with different people in the Bible. But one of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of the best kind of um, face-to-face encounters that I, that really, literally, literally one of my favorite stories is the Pharisee and the prostitute. The story of the Pharisee and the prostitute in Luke chapter 7. So we're going to talk about that. Before I get into that story, Let me just say something to, um, I have like three categories sometimes of people that are in the audience that I'm trying to speak to. Sometimes uh, I I have the family, the spiritual family, I call it the frequent flyers, and then I have the fringe. The fringe are kind of just in and out, checking it out, and that's all cool. We're good with that, hassle-free guarantee. 
you can do that. Frequent flyers are like, this is my church, but we just haven't crossed the line of the commitment. And then family, we're like all in, okay? So I'm talking to family right now, okay? And so everybody else gets to listen in. This is one of those messages where I'm trying to download DNA. This is how we should think and view people who don't think like we do, believe like we do, practice like we do. This will help you kind of get what will ultimately affect the culture of our church, which continues to attract people who are disconnected from God to God and get connected to God, godly people in a godly place, which is our vision. Amen? So this is an important uh, example of what I, like a DNA download, a culture message, but it has some strong doctrine in it as well. Is everybody with me? All right, let's pray. Amen? Father God, I ask that you would help me do this, you know, quickly, effectively, and powerfully, Lord. I need you, Lord. Help us to learn what we don't know, to live what we do know, and love the people we know and even don't know. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen? This story um, reminds me of the Pharisee and the prostitute, and hang on. And let me finish this out before you jump to conclusions. But it reminds me a little bit about my relationship with Stacy and I. And so just so you just, 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 just hang on, just hang on, just hang on, just hang on, okay? So I'm going to unpack that kind of as we go forward. Uh, it may seem a little awkward in the beginning, but at the end, it'll make sense. So let's, look at, let's look at the scripture. Luke 7, we're going to read 36 through 50, and yes, I'm on caffeine. Um, <laughs> When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him. Remember that because in the pictures a lot of times where you see this uh, story depicted visually, uh, most of the pictures have the woman out in front washing Jesus' feet, but she was behind him. She was a woman of shame. And so she came behind him. God doesn't want us to live a life of shame. He wants us to be in relationship with him in spite of our shame. He died and, 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 and opened himself up naked and open before everybody so we don't have to live with shame. Can I have an amen? amen? But anyway, that's where she started. I don't believe that's where she finished. And so she stood behind him at his feet weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Okay, two people uh, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love more, Simon replied. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, while he's looking at this woman, he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured oil on my feet, perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say to themselves, who is this even forgiven sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. 
So there's two main characters in this story we can see clearly, the Pharisee and the prostitute. And the Pharisee and the prostitute, we can easily conclude, it's obvious, are directly connected to the story of the two debtors. The Pharisee and the prostitute in this story are the two debtors. Is everybody tracking? Okay? Jesus is telling the story. And what happens in this particular story, even though certain things are obvious, what most people do, because it's so obvious, is they focus on the differences between the two people. The Pharisee and the prostitute. The differences are obvious. In other words, one owed 50, another owed 500. One was forgiven much, one was forgiven little. One loved much, one loved little. Over. We could go home because those are the differences. But what is not often seen, and sometimes the secret sauce is sometimes underneath the surface, is the similarities between the two people. So what I want to talk to you about, and, how it, and it relates so much to your relationship with God vertically and your relationship to other people, whether you're a Christ follower or you're a pre-believer, is I want to talk about the similarities between these two debtors. Are you with me, everybody, this morning? Here's some similarities between the two debtors. I'm going to give you three points. Here they are. Number one, they both owed. The two debtors, the Pharisee and the prostitute, regardless of their position or disposition, they both owed. Is that true? The Bible says so in Luke 7, 41. Look with me. It says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii. In other words, it's implied clearly from the verb usage here that they both what? They both owed. A denarii is a plural, a monetary term, a plural for the word denarius. A denarius is a day's wages. 300 denarii are a year's wages. So one owed 500 denarii. That's basically one year's wages plus two-thirds. One and two-thirds wages. Don't get checked out because I'm using fractions. Everybody hang on, okay? <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's say a year's wages was $50,000. A year's wages is $50,000. Let's just say that. So if you owed one and two-thirds, then you owed about $83,000, okay? Now, if you owed 50 denarii, then you owed $8,300, okay? So one was 10 times more than the others. Everybody tracking with me? 10 times more. That's a lot more, right? That's the difference, but the similarity is they what? They both owed. They both owed. They both had a debt. They both owed. And so I want you to see this through um, spiritual eyes this morning. We read the scriptures because they're there, according to 1 Corinthians, for our benefit and our instruction, to help uh, be applied to our mind, to renew our mind, and ultimately to change our hearts, which ultimately change our behaviors. So this must be established in your minds from the outset. The truth and the principle that applies to you and me is everyone owes. Write that down in your notes if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you don't see it. That's, what, that's, that's in there. Everybody owes. Look at Romans 3, 10 in your notes. It says this. There is none righteous, no, interesting word, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now, this is, this is referencing, you know, righteous, the doctrine of imputed righteousness, but basically what this is talking about, if you, if you put it in terms that we can understand, how many have children? Anybody have children out there? Anybody, anybody a child? If you want to raise your hand, you should be in this category. Okay. Um, if you have children, you know what it's like to tell your children that they need to do something, and then they argue or debate with you, right? 
the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, instructed by God himself, is basically saying this. He knows that he had to put this big no in the scriptures there because we would have this tendency to argue, debate, or even compare. So there's none righteous. Yeah, but, but, but I didn't do like what he did, and then she did that. No. Not one. Yeah, but, but, but she's, she's way worse than me. I mean, did you see what she... No. Have you, parents, have you ever done this with your kids? I said no. I think God's going out of his way because he knows our default to try to rise up and try to argue and to try to debate. And sometimes we do this compare thing on this level and it's messing up this level. Is everybody with me? Now, if you read further down in the chapter, Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul, again, brings it a little bit stronger. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word glory, one of the words that describes in the, in the, the Greek has these um, different nuances or translations of a word. Sometimes English is insufficient with one word to do that. But one of the words that describes this glory is standard. All have fallen short of the standard of God. How many have fallen short? How many have fallen short? All. 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 How many apart from Christ are righteous? None. No, not one. None. None. Jesus is the only one who can meet the standard. And he says, all of us, all of us fall short. So this first point is we can see from the story, both owed. The principle we apply to ourselves is, it, it, to us and all of us here is, editorially, everyone owes. Everyone owes. Here's the second point. We can see from this story that applies to us and affects our relationship with God is they both couldn't pay. They both couldn't pay. Luke 7, 42 says, and when they had nothing, big word there, with which to repay, he freely forgave them. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love more? So they both had how much to pay? Nothing to pay. So one that owed 50, you know, if he had five, no, we didn't have five. If, did he have 10? No, he didn't have 10. Did he have 25? No. Did he have 49? No. He had nothing. The 500, the 50, they both had nothing with which to pay. How does this apply to us? Nothing we could give for our debt to God would satisfy our debt. We used to sing a song when I was young. You know, he paid a debt I didn't know. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. I needed someone to wipe my sins away. The only one who could pay the debt that I couldn't pay was Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen out there? As a result of this debt that we have, every person spiritually, and you need to know this going forward, every person spiritually is bankrupt in the relationship with God. When you go into your relationship, you're bankrupt. Get my sister a drink of water, would you? Every person I know uh, sometimes loses track of important, valuable insight into our relationship with God and our doctrine. As a result, sometimes we fall away. Let me explain this further with an Old Testament text. I've actually misread and misquoted this text for 25 years. So this may make you pay attention. All right. Isaiah 64, 6. This is what it says. But we all, we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness says plural, are as filthy rags. Okay, so, so in the Old Testament, an unclean thing would make, uh, excuse me, a, a, a unclean thing would make a clean thing unclean. But because of Jesus, a clean thing can make an unclean thing clean. 
Isn't that, that's the cool part about a New Testament covenant, okay? But basically what this is referring to, and this is an analogy that the, the Holy Spirit gives Isaiah for you and I to understand Jesus' righteousness compared to ours. To give us the appropriate comparison, all comparison's not bad, just some comparison is bad, all right? It's the only time in the scriptures this word righteousness is pluralized. It's plural. It's quoted, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Another translation says, all of our <coughs> righteous acts are as filthy rags. So what are some of the, by the way, filthy rags in the, in the original language, this is a little graphic, so please just help just work with me and let's be big boys and big girls. But it basically is referring to menstrual rags, menstrual cloths. So what, the, what Isaiah is saying is, I want you to understand, your righteous acts, your righteousness says, are as menstrual cloths in comparison to the righteousness of God. What a righteousness is. What are righteous acts? What are those standards? Not, not, not bad acts, not just good acts, righteous acts. What are those? Well, there's things maybe like prayer, fasting, reading your, the word, memorizing the scriptures, you know, being in, uh, not forsaking the assembly of the saints, uh, serving and using your gifts, you know, finding a purpose for God, being a tither, bringing offerings to God. Okay, we would all probably conclude from scripture those are righteous acts. All of those are good, okay? I'm not trying to get anybody not to do those. That's not what Scripture is encouraging us to do. What it's encouraging us not to do is compare our righteous acts horizontally with somebody else's acts, good or bad. That's what gets us in trouble. But when we compare our righteousnesses to God's righteousness, we are so far away from what he, uh, you know, we don't compare to his righteousness. Does everybody track with me? His majesty, perfection, purity, holiness, etc. Let me give you a, a poor analogy, probably not any better than what Isaiah for sure said. But it's, because, it's poor because our human mind cannot comprehend or understand sometimes the, 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 the perfection, the righteousness of God. But when we can see it right, we can do things right. If you were standing somewhere, let's just say, I think it's, I heard it's in Nepal where the largest mountain in the world is, Mount Everest. So if you're in Nepal and you're standing on the ground and there's an anthill and then you see Mount Everest, the contrast between the anthill and Mount Everest is great, is it not? You can see that contrast right away, can't you? Now, if I did a big Superman on the bottom of that anthill next to Mount Everest, and I kneel down like you see in the movies, you know, and he puts his fist there, and then the planet starts to erupt, and then boom, he explodes off the planet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nobody likes movies. I watch movies. Anyway, and he just takes off, and let's just say he goes 25,000 miles into space, and he looks down upon the earth. Can from 25,000 miles you see the contrast between the anthill and Mount Everest? No. No. That's how far away we are in our righteousnesses from God's righteousness. Did you get that? I want you to know nothing compares to the righteousness of God. And, and, and so it's simple, even though this analogy is simple, it helps us see that in the sight of God, our life and our lifestyle and our practices, they don't matter in comparison or even come close to, they're so far off from God's righteousness. Now, if you turn it around, let's just say maybe you feel like you're an anthill person next to a Mount Everest person. And you look at them and say, I'll never measure up to them. You're looking the wrong way, and it's affecting your relationship with them and others. 
But if you look at it in relationship to God and you realize that in spite of the fact that I'm an anthill person, God still loves me in my situation, then you can be used by God. Now, if you're a Mount Everest person and you're looking down upon the anthill people, then you're getting in trouble too. And one side is, is blinding you to a vibrant relationship with God, and the other side is binding you and can lead you to bondage. So one causes us to fall into sin, and another one can cause us to fall out of love. Is everybody tracking with me? Because of this. Jesus was trying to instruct us that, you know, you don't look at somebody and say, I'm, I'm just a loser compared to them. Look at their sinless, wrinkle-free life. No, that's because you're looking at them and you're not looking at God. I'm not, at least I'm not like one of these. At least I'm not, you know, doing those kind of things. Look at the things I'm doing. Oh, you're getting yourself in trouble because you think your righteousnesses are earning you credit when they're filthy rags. Here's the third point. So, so far, the Pharisee and the prostitute both owed, and they both couldn't pay. Number three, they both were freely forgiven. Luke 7, 42 says, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So who was the only one who could forgive? Jesus. Who determined who would be forgiven? Jesus. Did, did, did either one of them have to pay anything? Did one have to pay? Well, you got to at least pay, you know, 100 for that. You at least got to pay 200 for that. I mean, you owe 50. No. They were all, both of them, completely and totally freely forgiven. And here's the problem. Here's what happens sometimes with you and I. This is why this is important. Because in, this, this, this applies to the church in particular. This is in your notes. Jesus gives more freely. He forgives more freely than we in the church like to admit or even practice. See, if the church began to act and behave like Jesus, we'd see a lot different results. We'd see people passionately love with God who are Christ followers, and we'd see more people want to be Christ followers because they saw people who were passionately in love with God. Is everybody tracking with me out there? Because, because of what we believe sometimes, and sometimes wrongly, we as a church, we, want this, we do this to ourselves, or we, and we apply it to others. We think people need to pay. We think people owe. We think people have to earn it. And Jesus is saying, mm-mm, freely forgiven. And because I have freely forgiven you, then what? You should freely forgive others. Who much is given... Much is required. You know, freely you have received, freely what? Freely give, right? So we can't pay. Only he can pay. And if we could see or we could choose to see as Jesus sees, we could do what Jesus does and love like Jesus did. Amen? But sometimes we don't want to see. We don't want to see right. We just, we, just, we, 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 we want to just kind of keep things the way they are sometimes. I was with a friend in the Dominican Republic recently, and his name is Michael. He's a very funny guy. You'll meet him soon. And um, we were at a buffet, and they had all these choice meats, you know, like these sliced, you know, deli meats, really nice stuff, you know, prosciutto and different things. And they had this really high-quality salami that brought me back way back when I used to like that. I used to cut it by the slice with cheese and crackers and just pound it, okay? And so I'm a pretty healthy, health-oriented person, but this was just one of those days where it's like, you know, it's like an all-play all day, you know? And so I grab this big piece of salami and I bring it over the table and I start slicing and I'm just down it. And he's watching me and I can see him smirking and kind of, you know, getting a little... And he's like, Derek, do you, do you know what's in that? And I'm like, don't tell me what's in it. 
Don't, he's like, there's, there's all, you know the chemicals that are in that? I've watched documentaries on this and how they process this. I'm like, I don't want to know. As I just keep heaving the stuff down my throat, right? <laughs> and, and that's what happens to us a lot of times. I didn't want him to ruin it for me. And we're like that with truth sometimes. The reason sometimes we don't get truth in the inner parts, as Psalms tells us to, is because we don't want truth. My observation and experience is that most people's belief systems are not based on truth. They're based on their preferences and their desires, not on truth. We'll talk about that more in the coming series because we're going to do a series on You Asked For It called You Asked For It. And so today after church, you need to look for a survey that will be coming on your phone. And we're going to design a series around your questions that we're going to ask. And I'm sure things will come up related to some of the stuff we talk about in church on a routine basis. But it's going to be an incredible series. So look for that and please respond to that if you wouldn't mind. Now, we've talked about the, series, the, the, the similarities. Let's talk a little bit about the differences. If 50 is the best in this text, if 50 is, you know, you pay your tithes, you're a, you know, you're a super Christian going to church, you know, four times a month, and you go to small group 18 times a month, and, you know, you're serving like a champion, a rock star, and all that kind of stuff. And 500 is the worst. 500 is, you know, you've, you've got all these secret sins and you, you've, you've done something illegal and you, you know, you committed adultery and you're an abuser or whatever those kind of things are. Where in the scale might you be between the 50 and the 500? And this is what usually happens with people if they're honest and they do a little personal inventories. They think, well, I'm not that, but I'm not that either. So I'm kind of I'm kind of somewhere in the middle, I guess. I'm sort of in the middle. Is everybody tracking with me out there? And so what happens is sometimes we lose sight of the message that Jesus is trying to bring. Here, here it is. You need to know this. This is so important in the DNA of your walk with God. You're all 500s. You're all 500s. You're all 500s. Comparison binds and blinds us. Years ago, Billy Graham was on The Tonight Show with the then host of The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson. For those of you in the younger generation, that's before Jay Leno, then Johnny Carson, okay? So it's like, you're like, well, Jimmy Fallon's, the, I know, okay, I know. It's before that, all right? So, so Johnny Carson is interviewing Dr. Billy Graham, and he says, Billy Graham, he says, um, one of the questions was, have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? Like, puts him right on the spot. Have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? And he's just thinking, he's talking to a saint, he's talking to an angel, and Billy Graham says, yes, I have. And Johnny's like shocked, you know, because he's thinking adultery and murder and bearing false witness, all kind of stuff. And he says, he says, yes, I've broken them all. And then Johnny's completely shocked and he says, and you have too. And Johnny's like, what are you talking about? He says, well, the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 10, if you've broken one of the law, you've broken them all. That's why Jesus had to come to not abolish it, but to fulfill it. He was the only one who could be righteous and live a righteous life of perfection. And only perfection would actually fulfill the law. And that's why you need the gospel. And he shared the gospel on national television with Johnny Carson that day because of one question about the commandments. Is that amazing? But the point is, the point is we all come up short. We all fall short. We've all broken the law. If we've broken one, we've broken them all. The Bible is filled with this insight into 50 verses 500. Yeah, but PD, if we're, if we're all 500s, then why in the story did he set these amounts, these two different amounts? I'm going to talk to you about that. Look in um, Luke 7:39. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. So remember, we're all 500s, but yet Jesus uses these different amounts. When the Pharisees saw what had just happened with this woman coming in and washing his feet and doing all the crying and all that... 
The Pharisee, it says, he spoke to himself. Who did he speak to? Saying, this man, if he were a prophet, remember that, by the way, it's important, would know what man or woman who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered. Do you see that word answered there? It doesn't say Jesus said. It says Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. So this is kind of funny. The Bible's filled with humor here. So, so Simon thinks, you know, you know, if this man were a prophet, he would know. He's thinking in his head. If this man was a prophet, he would know. And then Jesus goes, Simon, I got something to tell you. How many of that's a big prophet right there? Bam! So this story is an answer to Jesus' thoughts. I mean, to Simon's thoughts. Jesus is answering. He doesn't say something. He's answering a man's thoughts. This is what's so powerful about the Savior is that all throughout the Bible, he would say things like, uh, you see stories where it says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts. Jesus answered them and said after knowing their thoughts. You know why that's so powerful too? Because the only way we change is a change of the heart. And Jesus is the only one who can change the heart. So he'd always speak right to the heart, right to the heart of the matter. It's powerful. So Christians have interpreted this scripture wrong for years. Those, this, 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 the misinterpretation is that sometimes we say things like those who love the most are those who are, have been forgiven the most. And that's not completely accurate according to the story. And because of this misinterpretation, we get in bondage blinded or bound by this misinterpretation. Let me explain this. Because this is where it came into me and Stacy being, you know, similar in this story or seeing ourselves in this story. My wife used to look at me and she would, she would think or she might even say things like, you know, I could never love God as much as Derek because I haven't been forgiven as much. <laughs> now, there's a funny side of that. But there's a sad side of that, too. In other words, she could conclude, because I have this B.C. before Christ, now this A.C. after Christ life, that I have a testimony, and I have a, I have a Saul become Paul kind of contrast, and she's like, I don't have a testimony. I don't have that kind of a story, so God can't use me. God can't, God can't flow through me. I can't have this vibrant relationship, dependent relationship on God because of her view of herself in relationship to others instead of in her relationship with God. Is everybody tracking with me? And so she's thinking, as she's growing up as a child, she's thinking, I got saved when I was six. Like, what do you get delivered from when you're six? Ice cream? Yo-hos and Chips Ahoy? I mean, what, you know? And so she looked at me and she thought that. Now, I looked at her and I thought, you know what I mean? She's, I could never measure up. She's a 50. I, 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 she's a 10 to me, but in the story, she's a 50. And I just thought, I'm not good enough to be accepted by God. And because of my view, comparing myself to her, it was affecting my relationship with God. The same adverse effects that she had this way, I was having this way because we're looking at each other this way. Instead of contrasting it with him this way. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm getting this. This is getting this. It's making sense now. So, this is the problem, you know? And this passage does not teach that there are some worth, worse than others. This passage is teaching there are some who think they are better than others. So, Jesus sets these, these amounts because Simon was thinking, doesn't the master know that I'm a 50 and he's brought a 500 in here? And Jesus is responding and answering the thoughts and the intents of his heart. And he's saying, Simon, you can love me just like this prostitute loves me. If you realize you're not a 50, you're a 500 just like her. 
And this kills the dynamic in our relationship with God as believers, and it kills the opportunity to have a relationship with God as pre-believers because we see it wrong. And the two lies that the enemy promotes and distorts our reality are these. The first one is that you think you're better than others. That's what the enemy tries to get us to buy. And the second lie is also true. He tries to get us and convince us that we are worse than others. And the amazing, not that I'm saying the devil's amazing, but his, his, his success rate is very high in this respect. He can get us to believe both lies simultaneously. <laughs> At least I'm not like Pastor Deej. I mean, I didn't do it. He did. But then I come over here and I think, I'm not as good as Tara. I mean, she, wow. I mean, she's, whoo, she's way up here. So between, between those two, we can believe both lies, and both lies are literally uh, decapitating our relationship, destroying our potential relationship with God and with others. Are you tracking with me, everybody out there? But yet the Bible, the whole Bible is summed up. The law and the prophets is summed up in two commandments, and they say, love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't see how much God has forgiven you, you can't see how much God loves you. The motivation to change is realizing how far away we are from God, yet how far he came down to reach us and love us and demonstrate his love for us, Romans 5.8. Woo! That's what changes and motivates you and makes you love him and as a result love others the way we need to. Jesus is saying, Simon, you're not getting it. You can love me just as much as the prostitute loves me. And I remember being out on the, actually in my back bedroom and I was reading this and I was getting this revelation years ago um, Somewhere around, Deej was reminding me about when I first shared some of this, but it's like six, seven years ago. And I remember coming out to my wife, and I'm saying, Stacy, look, look. I call her Boo. I said, Boo, look. And it was totally unfiltered. I said, you're, 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 you're just as bad as me. <laughs> She's like, what? What? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't come out. And I began to unpack it, and she realized at the other side, she's like, I, wow, I can love just as much as you. And we sat on the back porch and we talked for hours and, and, and she, was, she was sharing with me. She goes, I can remember when, when we were on a date and we were going to this service at Oral Roberts University and, and you told me, you said, I got a word from God and I need to share it. And she said, on the outside, I said I was excited, but on the inside, I thought, why don't I get a word from God like Derek does? Why don't I don't hear things like he hears things? Maybe, you know, he's a 500. Why does, maybe I need to be a 500. Maybe I, don't, I can't love like he does. And then she said, but then when I saw this, I realized, you know, God, God can use the, the, you know, the foolish. He can use the dumb to confound the wise. I'm like, wait a minute, honey. And then she's, no, 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 no. I, I, I mean, what I'm saying is he can use anyone or anything. He can even use a donkey. I'm like, what? Are you trying to say I'm a dumbass? I hope I didn't offend anybody. But anyway, we laugh just like you're laughing. The truth is this misconception or this distortion can cause righteous people to fall and unrighteous people never to fall in love, and it's so sad. And so the similarities for you and for me are this. We all owed the same amount. Can everybody say amen? amen. Jesus gave the same amount for everyone, and we can love Jesus as much as the prostitute did because we're all 500s. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Don't miss next week as we continue the series on the sin of comparison. I can't wait to share some things with you on that. Would you close your eyes and just uh, be very, very still as the prayer team is coming to the front. Please be very, very still. Please, please, please. Just everybody close your eyes honoring the person around you because they might need this moment. If you're listening online, I just want to encourage you to respond as well. It's so important that we don't just hear things, but we respond to God's word.
the response is the most important time. So if you've struggled in your walk with God, your affections have waned. You're, you're going through the motions. You're in a dry and stale place. You know, things aren't fresh and alive in your walk with God. It might be because of the sin of comparison. You might be here today and you need to disconnect from all things that are horizontal in comparison and compare yourself to the glory and the majesty and the perfection and holiness of God. And when you do that, and you realize what he says in spite of that about you and how much he loves you, and how far he went to reach out for you, your love will return. That fresh breath of air, that anointing will come back. The wind in your sails will come back. If you know God's speaking to you through this message and you just need to respond with some outward sign, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I need help in this area. I don't want to lose this. I want this to be grafted to my soul. I don't want it to be a part of who I am. I want my heart to be tender again and a fresh again walk with God. I want to feel that breath of air in my walk with God. I, just every single person that's responding, God, I pray that you would, you would hear their hearts cry, Lord Jesus, that you would break them again that they would, their heart would break for what breaks yours. Lord, their heart would break for what breaks yours. They would want, Lord God, what you want. They would see people as you see people. They would treat people as you treat people. I pray for a supernatural download of the DNA of Jesus Christ on this church in Jesus' name. That we love people because you loved us so much. We forgive people freely. We practice that because you've forgiven us so freely in Jesus' name. Now, if you're here and, 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 you're, and you're listening to the sound of my voice and you have never made, never, you've never made that personal connection with God. I've been to church. I've read my Bible. I maybe even went to Sunday school as a kid. But I've never made that connection with Jesus Christ personally. And you want to do that today? I want to give you that opportunity to make that connection with him. And if you know he's been speaking to you through this whole service and you want to experience the forgiveness, the free forgiveness of Jesus Christ, he has that available to you, but you simply have to choose and accept that. And if you're ready to do that right now, I want you to raise your hand good and high and say, that's me. I don't want to leave today before accepting the free gift of salvation. God bless you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Two over there. Thank you over there. That's awesome. Is there anybody else I'm missing over here? God bless you. That's so awesome. All the way in the back, those two, I see your hands. Thank you. Yes, all the way in the back there. Thank you so much. Thank you up here in the front for raising your hand. God bless you for your courage. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? Those of you listening online, you pray this prayer as well. Those that raise your hand, this is so important. You say this like you mean it. Say, Jesus, I accept that I owe that you paid and that you freely forgave. I accept your forgiveness for my sins, the past, the present, and the future. I feel better knowing that we're all 500s and that you still love me and gave yourself for me. Change me from the inside out. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. And all the church said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord the best praise. Amen. Yeah.